This episode is brought to you by Third Eye Cacao. Third Eye Cacao is on a mission to preserve ceremonial grade cacao in the world and invite others on a journey from their head to their heart. Cacao is the fruit where chocolate comes from and is one of the most nutrient-dense superfoods on the planet. Third Eye Cacao is known for its special elixir powders that they make with herbs and adaptogens. Each blend has a unique activation for the brain, heart, and body. Cacao can be a great addition to your coffee or a replacement and has the powerful ability to begin any day with intention and ceremony. Now, I'm a huge fan of cacao. Ever since I first tried it, I noticed its heart opening effects and Third Eye Cacao makes it super easy to enjoy its benefits. Just take a couple of the chips out of the bag, throw them directly into your mouth, which I like to do, or make a drink with it if you have a little more time. By the way, Third Eye Cacao is the best tasting cacao I've ever tried. So go to thirdeyecacao.com, and that's Third Eye with a three. Three R-D, iCacao.com, and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 11%. Once again, that's Third Eye Cacao with a three, dot com, promo code TIMEWHEEL. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
We are rolling, and I'm here with my good friend Michael Phillip. How's it going today, brother? It's going good, my friend. Glad to be back. Always love to to wonder dip with you. And uh, based on the pre-talk, I think we're gonna we're gonna dip our wonder nuggets in some yep. interesting sauces. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. Just just in the text before we were uh, about to get on, we we're talking about getting caffeinated and taking a shit and maybe we'll be enlightened enough to, for this conversation. And I thought that was funny. And it started turning my mind around enlightenment and the spiritual path a little bit. And what we were just talking about was that sometimes, you know, when people first start the spiritual path, they, they, it's like they believe that if they just meditate every day for a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, maybe a year, like they're going to reach enlightenment. They're going to reach full blown. Like it, it will all be unveiled to them for 24 seven for the rest of their life. And I, when I hear people talking on podcasts about that, you know, me being, you know, almost 12 years into the spiritual path, I know, wow, you, you, you've got so much more to learn. You know, what, what does that bring up for you? Well, first of all, man, like, so we, we were kind of, um, before we started recording, we were talking about the trappings of spirituality, the trappings of the sort of new age discourse and how when you get beyond the trappings, beyond the surface level, and you really look for something solid and nutritious to grab onto, it's like, what are you actually talking about? Like, like, where is the place where I get the actual caloric density from these far-flung ideas you're talking about? And when you say things like, you know, the spiritual path or meditation or even enlightenment, I'm the type of person who, and maybe this is, you know, we're, we're made a little joke about Socrates when we first start, were talking before. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is that like mischievous Socratic part of me where I want to say, what even are those things? What is this enlightenment? What is this spirituality? You know, mm -hmm. what does it even mean? Because I, I don't, I don't know. Like I've had moments where I am in the direct experience of holy shit, my mind is being blown. Holy shit, I feel at one with everything. Holy shit, I think that my mind in, in this little meat body is connected to some kind of transcendent cosmic intelligence. I've had those moments, but I don't know if that's enlightenment. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I don't even know if it was real. You know, it seemed very real. Right. So I think that for me, that's what it brings up is like, what do these words even mean? Because we're, we're living, and I think the reason it's difficult to even begin to understand what they mean is because we're so decontextualized. You know, it's not like, oh, there's a very established multi-generational Buddhist temple that I belong to. And I go there, I do these practices for decades, I, I go through these levels of initiation. And then you slowly begin to I don't know if it's understand the un <laughs> necessarily. 
because I think that it's it's a process of like understanding non-dual truth through understanding that you don't understand, mm-hmm. you know, through things like uh, Buddhist koans that seem very, uh, you know, they, they seem like they're almost absurd. But in the absurdity, you kind of see that it's pointing to this non-dual truth or something like that. Right. Yeah, but the, the, the one-hand clapping example. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and there, there's many other, like, really cool koans. I wish I knew more, but yeah, there's some... But I don't want to get too off on, on that tangent. But my point is just, we're not even, like, in a tradition or even in a linguistic place where we agree upon what these things are. And even if we were... That's like starting point one, because, you know, every teacher that I love is continuously drawing attention to how limited language is, how yeah. limited concept is, and that to even talk about some of these concepts, like you're just, you're doing violence to them, you're damaging them, you're, you're qualifying them, you're trying to corner them into an explanation when you can't even really explain them it's mm-hmm. and yeah so that that's what it brings up for me man is just the what are we even talking about you know yeah, yeah <laughs> like, language is a big barrier uh between understanding and experience and it's it's a really tough one you know like because again you know when people first start on the spiritual path they believe there is this ultimate achievement they can attain. I was one of these people. I mm-hmm. truly believed if I just put in enough spiritual work, enough yoga, enough discipline, enough meditation, um, enough kind of uh, vegan diet, you know what I mean? Like I could essentially reach states of consciousness like without trying, I would like, it was almost like my consciousness would ascend to some new level mm-hmm. and stay there permanently. And I, you know, I've definitely seen glimpses of that. Um, I find it in meditation. I find it in psychedelic experience. Um, but as far as like it becoming a permanent state, I always do wonder, is that a real thing? Is, is it real? Is that actually possible? Um, and I remember I was listening to your podcast. I'm a big fan of your show. I've heard nearly every episode. Um, at a point, what someone had said um, that heaven is only accessible for five minutes at a time. Hmm. A, I, don't remember, a I don't even remember who, who said this. It was an old one. It was a very. Okay. It was like in the first hundred episodes. Um, hmm. And I remember that ringing out to me as truth. I was like, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense. Like, you can find heaven on earth. You can find enlightenment. Yeah. But for only five minutes at a time. Hmm. I'm you so know? curious who said this now. I, I could probably uh, search it up and lis- look at my like listening history and, and find it. Um, I think you guys were talking about Robert Anton Wilson and the Cosmic Trigger. Hmm. And maybe, maybe he said it and it was y'all talking about something he said. That could be. Um, it's possible. But I do relate to that. And I definitely think that, you know, heaven is so boundless, like the concept of heaven or enlightenment, or just like pure consciousness, pure awareness. Um, there's so many words you could put on it. Um, but our 
you know, our mind isn't meant to reside in yeah. that state for very long. It's it's too much and it's unlanguageable. So it it's interesting, you know, I feel like the spiritual path as you become more mature in it is just to find that five minutes every day. If you can just yeah. find that five minutes every day, then you're probably doing something right. And as long as you're able to emanate that energy with your relationships and your exchanges and your communication with other and you know humans on the planet, then you're on the spiritual path. But but I think it is interestingly misguided to think that you're going to reach some full awakening state where you're more or less a demigod um, through meditation practice, yoga practice, vegan diet, these types of things I was talking about. Yeah, I think I think you're onto something for sure because there's something absurd about being a enlightened being. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking a beat right now because I want I want like I want people to try to like think about what I mean by by this. Like, if higher reality, quote unquote, is a thing. What basically every mystical tradition says it is, is this kind of unity that you just alluded to. Mm -hmm. Some kind of core consciousness, some kind of oneness that pervades everything. And if that's what enlightenment is, is unifying with that, you're not even like really a you anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And right. and when you and then this is like when you see people in this I'm talking about this the, again the trappings of spirituality when you see people who claim to be a torchbearer for that unitive light or whatever and it's wow it's also doing wonders for their ego and their hat collection and their <laughs> bank account it's just like I don't think that's it I mean mm -hmm. no no shade on anyone I mean I'm not. I'm not throwing shade, but I guess if you claim to be enlightened and, and you're and you're rocking it that way, I am throwing shade because I think that that's pure pure charlatan like charlatan mm -hmm. behavior. Mm -hmm. And if we like, so I think there's this um, if you know because we're we're not to like beat around the bush and and not to just continuously be be like I don't think there are any explanations for anything my best shot at giving an explanation is that this kind of non-dual awareness, reality, consciousness, it is briefly possible to experience it in a way that can't really be talked about very skillfully. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you see these... Um, mystical traditions, initiatory traditions, uh, also other paths like, like being a monk we were talking about where they kind of slowly get you to think in these non-dual ways and they kind of slowly erode your individualistic ego-based worldview and get you to associate with the whole, like the macrocosm rather than the microcosm of yourself I think that that's a valid path. I think that that's something that is real. 
But I think that if you are claiming to be a representative of that thing, while also pulling resources into yourself, there's something fundamentally backwards about that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I would say that even though I'm very interested in these ideas, even though they animate me, they compel me, I would never say that I'm a representative of anything for that reason. I think people can make whatever judgments or conclusions or whatever on their own about, about that. And I, so I just, I just leave it alone. You know, I don't even, even saying I'm on a spiritual path. I I feel like even saying that feels embarrassing or something. Like it feels (laughs) like, I don't, am I like these ideas interest me greatly, Mm -hmm. but, and we're all on some kind of path. But, you know, like we were talking about before, like the the joke of like, I'm going to take a shit and drink some coffee, then I should be enlightened enough to to start podcasting. Like, <laughs> it feels o- almost like, how, how can I honestly go do both of those activities and feel like I'm any better than any other person? Like, it's mm-hmm. just, I, I'm I'm the same person as I was in many ways as a kid like you know that core part of your being where you you think back to any time in your life and you it sort of just feels the same mm-hmm. it's hard to explain it's just like there are things that i did and ways i behave that i'm like oh i'm not that person anymore mm-hmm. but also at the same time when you just remember what it was like to witness something, it's like always the same person. It's always the same thing. Right. So I, in that way, I don't feel like I've almost like there's any progress to mm. make even. It's just like, you're just, you're just there, <laughs> you know, you're just mm. there and maybe nothing you really do. I mean, maybe yeah. this sounds really absurdist, but maybe nothing you really do gets you closer and in realizing that nothing you really do gets you closer, you kind of do get closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting. So, <clears throat> once you have gotten some type of affirmation from the, the universe, the cosmos, you know, your mental dialogue, whatever it is that lets you know you're on a spiritual path now, you start to realize you've always been on one and everyone is on one, whether they know it or not. Hmm. Um, you know, like even people who aren't spiritual, it, it, it's such a funny thing because like so many people that become spiritual, let, let's say they have an ayahuasca journey and now they're the salesman for ayahuasca because it's so amazing mm-hmm. that they have to tell everyone and they have to say how mind-blowing it was and that they benefit so much from doing it like the the true spiritual understanding is that they're already on the exact spiritual path they need to be on for themselves and no amount of you telling them how amazing a psychedelic experience is is going to change them or their spiritual path i mean it's never worked for me i was very much inspired by my psychedelic experiences and was wanting to tell everyone to do it and this would just change the whole world if everyone would have an experience like this it'd be so much more kind and loving and you know have reverence for what this whole experience is and in my experience it never worked you know like people just kind of like they like the idea of it but 
to actually embody it is one of the toughest things you can do. And, you know, there's a lot of things you were saying there that made me think, you know, what is really the right way to embody the spiritual path? Because, for example, like someone that that most people would think is enlightened is a sad guru, for example. Let's just use him as an example. The way he presents himself, the way he speaks, the, mm-hmm. the books he's written, like he you know, mo- like nine out of 10 people are going to say, okay, this guy has like some enlightenment that I want to know more about. Um, now he does have a marketing team behind him. He does have people making memes and videos and putting mm-hmm. them out. Yeah. He was on mm-hmm. Joe Rogan talking about, I have a billion views or whatever, you know? And right, it's just, it's an interesting idea because is, you know, <clears throat> is that what we should do? I mean, in theory, it's a good idea to want to share the wisdom that you've acquired and help other people. But spirituality and, and enlightenment also entails knowing everything is perfect and divine as it is, and there is no action needed. You know, the, the great Tao is just carrying us forward. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that for me, it feels like is the best I can say that there is work to be done. And I think in some ways this, this, you could argue that this is the difference between a, to draw very, very, very broad circles around a a topic. This might be the difference between like a, a Western and Eastern mindset in spirituality in that the Eastern mindset is pretty much to just stop it, you know, mm-hmm. stop playing the game, right. put it all down, put down your identity, be a renunciate, uh, realize that the self is an illusion and you will cease your suffering through this realization. You will stop wanting and through no longer wanting to play this game of the self wealth accumulation spreading your seed, you know, all the games that uh, obsess humanity, mm-hmm. you will see suffering. Mm-hmm. And then the Western interpretation is sort of the spiritual ascension of the individual, right? Like you see this in um, like the mystery tradition, you know, places like Eleusis or through like the Academy, Plato's Academy, which is also very tied into initiate initiatory mysteries probably because Mm -hmm. we know that plato was initiated into mysteries uh in egypt at eleusis whatever and it's like this ascension this anagogic process they called it of going of climbing kind of of like getting closer to transcendent truth even if you can't reach reach transcendent truth, because it's kind of absurd to say you can reach something that's transcendent, but you can get closer. And in getting closer, you become more like it. You become to you, you, you become more what Plato would call rational, meaning you are associating more with mind at large. Like you are kind of merging with mind. And in that way, you're kind of diminishing the self as well, but there's still a core element of self involved in this process, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I I think that it could be a product of legacy. It could be a product of capitalism. 
maybe some kind of like epigenetic impression that's on my mind. I don't know. But I, I do associate more with the sort of individual journey that that I think we're alluding to here. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, Carl Jung had some, I mean, he had so much writing on this, but toward the end of his life, he wrote a lot of very kind of existential thoughts and letters and in journals and stuff like that. And he would talk about sort of like, uh, there's this quote that I'm remembering where he talks about like finding something very precious and, and special, like, like some kind of treasure through all of his toils and that he took that treasure to be extraordinarily important and sacred and like something that he had to protect weirdly because it's like you would think don't you want to transmit this don't you don't you want to uh pass this along kind of like dharmically right like the transmission of the dharma just keeps working past my life and i can give it to other people and they can continue and just Mm -hmm. continue it but he was talking about like this precious thing that was like his achievement in his life that could not be explained could not be transmitted and and that's like an individual weird treasure but he also realized, and, and this is what I mean about there's still work to be done, that which has kind of kicked off this whole tangent, is that God, whatever it is, according to someone like Young, who is basically kind of like a, I would call him a mystic, I would call him someone who was mm-hmm. trying to synthesize information from the world over and trying to not not necessarily remix it, but make it make sense for the 20th century and where humanity is at mod- in a modern sense and, and what it implies that this, this decontextualization I was talking about before, how like you're not Buddhist, uh, I, I'm not Hindu, like most of us aren't anything, mm-hmm. but we're kind of like open to everything in this perennial philosophy kind of way. And, and his bottom line seemed to be that the work is not done yet and we are the kind of bleeding edge of god continuing to god we and, and we can wake up to the fact that we as individual humans and collectively are in charge of this process and we can easily get sidetracked we can easily get pulled into like side quests and games that don't matter but until most of humanity or enough of humanity collectively tips the scale toward this realization that we are the the like cosmic fingertips of god or something like that and that it's our job to make the world better and hopefully go beyond the world and make the solar system and the cosmos better and more awake and more uh conscious that we're fucking up and we're we're Mm -hmm. regressing and retarding and de-evolution, like whatever the opposite of evol- de-evolution. Right. And, and I mean, it's difficult to say that uh, the, t- the scales aren't tipped toward de-evolution. At least to me, it's, it's hard to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's a hell of a tangent, man. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. even sure. <laughs> I'm not no, even I, sure. If, uh, yeah, I love ahead. it. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, it brought a couple of things up and in, you know, one of them was, it's interesting how people that we do um, perceive as enlightened almost don't say anything. So it's almost as if there was two enlightened podcasters 
they would just show up and just look at each other and that's it. And Maybe. everyone would be like, yeah, you know, they'd love it. Like when Eckhart Tolle comes out on the stage, he just sits there and he just looks at everyone. <laughs> and they're all like, yes, 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 yes. You know, like they're, they're mm-hmm. like, they know where he's at because of the books he's written and he'll finally say something. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like this big yeah. deal. He's like, hello, <laughs> you know, um, Muji, another spiritual teacher. Similarly, he comes out. There's so much space between the things he says. It's like mm-hmm. he'll, he'll, he'll have a couple of words and then he'll wait a solid 30 seconds and he'll have a couple of words. It's interesting. It's like the enlightenment is found in silence. Um, the Tao says something along the lines too, uh, which is uh, those, those who speak don't know, those who don't speak know. I think it was the reverse, um, but it's interesting because it's like how uh, how else can you express these mm-hmm, ideas mm-hmm. but to speak? Um, yeah, and and because I'm a podcaster, I've thought about this a lot, and, and it's funny because I think uh, in my sort of constant ambivalence that I that people might already be sensing the fact that I'm sort of always going back and forth. I'm always going. I'm kind of always flowing back and forth. That's kind of my point in doing that is to qualify my speech to try to communicate that I know that everything that I'm going to say is flawed from the get-go because mm-hmm. there's always going to be a way that you can interpret it that's going to muddy the water or is going to make it something that it's not. But even in even in doing the act of using language, you're pushing away all the things you're not saying, and you're making a declarative statement, even if you you don't mean to. And in that way, I, I see the wisdom in that. You know, in I, I see the wisdom in true true wisdom is not speaking, and, and like fools are the ones who speak a lot. Mm-hmm. On the other hand. That doesn't do anything for anyone else. Right, right. You know, it doesn't do like me showing up and being silent somewhere doesn't do anything for anyone. Right. That's the conundrum of it all is it's like, okay, we have so much to share, all of this experience, all of these conversations. And, you know, like the enlightenment is found in the silence. So it's like, like, where's the middle ground? I mean, in my experience, you know, usually you get some type of download, some type of synchronicity that says, bring this to the world. Um, It it just keeps showing up over and over and over again. It keeps falling in your lap. That's why people like you probably start a podcast. It's like, it just felt like something was telling you repeatedly, start this podcast, carry this thing forward, keep going with it. It's, It's the thing you're meant to do. It's your dharma. It's how you can bring your medicine to others. Um, I relate to that with, you know, a number of projects I've been involved in. And yeah, it's just an intro. It's just, it's a, it's a tough one to even speak on. And it's, an, it's, it's cool to get to try to do this with you and express, you know, what is enlightenment in this, in this era? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? Is it the same thing it used to be? Yes. Has it evolved? I, I think it is. I think it is. Mm-hmm. And 
like I so I think I do think that allegories and things like koans are probably the best tools that we have to attempt to allude to something that can't be talked about. Mm-hmm. And ag- again, you know, because I I love I do actually love Eastern mysticism as well. Like I took a bunch of Buddhist philosophy classes in college, you know, very, very appealing to me. But as I got as I got older, I started to like realize I think I think Western philosophy, especially in the like Platonic tradition, is what really appeals to me most. That like Socratic line, the Platonic line. Um and there's a great allegory that Socrates talks about. Um, and it has to do with like one of his students. I, I haven't read it in a while, but it's really short. It's called like the allegory of the sun or uh, something like that. And it's like one of his students is like asking him like, what is the truth? What, like, what is the, you know, what is the, the one, like the, the mm-hmm. true reality? And he basically says, if you want to understand its nature, think of terms, think in terms of the sun. Mm. And if you just think about like what the sun does, the only thing the sun does is just, it never stops just giving life, giving life, giving life, giving life. That's all it does. Mm -hmm. And even that he's not saying it is the sun. He's just saying, like, uh, he, he, he's intelligent enough to immediately condense it down into something so simple that everybody kind of gets it, but we don't get it. Like, think about that on a cosmic level. Think about that on an infinite level. Think about that on, on, on levels we can't even think about. You know, like, reach mm-hmm. back into your most profound psychedelic experience and still understand that you're spitting all over what it is mm-hmm. you know like that's that's what we're trying to get at when we're talking about enlightenment and that's why i'm saying like i don't think you can be a person mm-hmm. that's enlightened i think that that's like saying how can a dick be a butt you know it's like <laughs> it's just something that it's not like right. to be like and uh platonically speaking if you read something like the Aeneids, um, which was written by a later Platonic thinker and Neoplatonic thinker named Plotinus, um, which sounds very, I mean, if you read a lot of the stuff in the Aeneids, it sounds very Eastern. Like he talks about reincarnation. He talks about um, a lot of these concepts that sound almost like Prajnaparamita or Brahma or these like kind of big oneness ideas and cosmic consciousness and stuff like that. But he also talks about personal development and like his fa- one of his most famous allegories is like thinking of the self like a statue. You know, like if you're not happy with this part of the statue, work on this part of the statue. If you don't like this, that corner looks too pointy, make it smoother, you know. Right. So he kind of merges the individual and the the collective. But what what he says um we are basically is like these trapped reflections of our souls or something. Like you have this oneness, you know, this this sort of like pleroma or there, there's different words that you can like for this kind of transcendent consciousness or oneness that everything comes from. And he talks about this process of soul fall, 
happening mm. where some element of that awareness somehow gets kind of caught in its own reflection and then that lower dimensional reflection gets like stuck in itself and that's what we are we're all like stuck in some lower dimensional reflection of the higher dimensional consciousness yes. is what they're saying is the sort of ontological uh secret mm -hmm. and that feels pretty good to me like, yeah. like personally that feels pretty close to like something that that resonates with the experience like you know the experiences that i've had that that i don't know about you if it resonates for you but um it, it does mm -hmm. it does seem like there's something to that it feels like it's it feels like it's it's onto something yeah yeah it it makes me think that you know we're like the shadow of the light yeah yeah you know, like we in this physical incarnation are the shadow being cast by that higher self. Exactly. Um, and I, I relate and I feel like those altered state experiences um, give you a glimpse of what the true nature of reality is. And that's why people end up coming back saying it's all light. It's all light, you know, and then there's this whole term love and light. It's like, it's true. It's interesting. It's like that the light does allow us to be. I mean, imagine if we were this exact, you know, person and there was just pure black, pure darkness. We couldn't see anything at all. Like existence wouldn't be at all what it is. Um, it would just be like mental, mental awareness and then like, no, like no difference between things. Um, right. And that is the beauty of it all is that things are different. It's and that we're not all <laughs> one thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, we're all different and we're able to have conversations with people with, with differing opinions. And that's actually a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I know a lot of people could probably get into these realms of mind where it's like, no, I'm right. And why doesn't everyone agree with me? I've had the spiritual experience. I've had the five MEO DMT. Everyone needs to agree with me and the world will be a better place. But it's interesting how there is so much beauty to be found in the differing, the differing between one another as well. And it's just important to remember, you know, there's a lot of spiritual truths that can come from these experiences, but being able to hold on to them and embody them and integrate them and carry them in day-to-day -day life is really the work and it's a lot heavier than people think it is <laughs> yeah yeah and and yeah in the i feel like <laughs> i feel like if the spiritual path is anything it's coping you know mm -hmm. it's just it, it's like coping with the fact that you've somehow become aware of the fact that there is this transcendent possibility, like through an experience you've had, right? Mm -hmm. Like you open that Pandora's box, like transcendent geometry is the thing I've experienced now. Uh, feeling like, you know, I was saying before, like, oh, I was briefly at one with some kind of like transcendent intelligence, or I was just so confident in, in just understanding my existential situation. And it all just, all made intuitive sense, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then you go back to your normal life. It's pure coping. Like it's mm-hmm. pure, like I can't reconcile this. Mm-hmm. I can't reconcile the taking a shit and having a coffee <laughs> with that, with whatever that was. And it reminds me of, uh, there's a, a concept in Buddhism called the two truths doctrine. And okay. the two truths doctrine is basically what we're talking about. It's like, it's not that the world of this and that, you and me, black and white, on and off, hot and cold. It's not that that's not real. It's that that's real. And then also the transcendent truth is real too. And you could say that, yes, the transcendent truth is more real, but as long as you're human, the carnal truth of binaries is just as true. Like it never stops being true. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so it's, it, I, I like, I kind of like that way of dealing with that paradox is it's just like, yes, this and, this mm-hmm. and. There, there's always like, there's always more, you know, it's never like, we're, like you were saying right at the beginning is like, it, it's not, you're not there, you're not done. You're, it's mm-hmm. no matter what you've experienced, it's not over. Like, have, I don't know. Have you gotten like rambling emails from people who claim to be enlightened before or? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially running, you know, some of these Facebook pages based around psychedelics and stuff like. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Do you, do you answer those or do you? I can't. No, <clears throat> I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels, I mean, honestly, to me, it feels like if if I want to say anything, I want to say, you probably need help, man. Like, you probably, <laughs> I mean, maybe you are enlightened. There's a 1% chance or something that I'll give you that you're enlightened, but I'm not living my life based on 1% chances. You know, I'm not I, like, and, and it's always like, so you have to have me on the podcast. Like, that's always mm-hmm. like the sort of gist of why they're messaging me. Right. And yeah, man, I think that this gets into the very real danger of like, this is something I've talked about in a couple pods recently where I was looking at one of these images of uh, Carl Jung's psyche, mm-hmm. where, you know, it's kind of like, it's a very loose map. It's like, there's like a couple circles where it's like this little circle is your ego. And then this giant circle that contains the ego is the self. And the self is like, not just you, but this is like capital S self. This is like Mm -hmm. the archetype of self. And within that you have everything. Like you have the unconscious, the collective unconscious. And then I noticed there is an area in one of them that I hadn't heard of before called the mana personality. Oh, Did yeah. we talk about that at all? Uh, you and I have chatted just just on a personal basis about it, but it's super interesting. Yeah, so so what that is for people is he points out that there are archetypes of gods like in the psyche. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not just saying like the personal, though I think that it would be in the personal as well, but in the collective. Like you can have an experience of, oh my God, I met Jesus. I met Krishna. I met whatever. Yeah. And the primary way that he talks about it is in ter- or, or at least what I've read, what very little I've read is um 
that this can result in ego inflation if it's mm -hmm. interpreted the wrong way. Like you, you can interpret it as I, Matthew, mm -hmm. personally was visited by this God and this right. God said, I'm God. And that now you have to listen to me because I'm God, you're not God. Or even if you are God, you're not awake. And therefore you have to listen to me for instructions on how to be awake. And this is how he talked about it. Like the primary danger is if you're doing this like deep work, especially I would say with something like psychedelics, because they fling you into this place of like transcendent, hard to explain things and imagery and, and what, what feels like dialogue or whatever. And if you don't have the grounding, if you don't have the concepts to s skillfully deal with these things, it can easily result in a kind of huge ego inflation that right. makes you think you're enlightened. Or suddenly you're like emailing a podcaster or you're like what, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, you're doing, standing on the street corner. And that's not a place <laughs> I want to go. That's not a place mm -hmm. I want anyone to go because I mm -hmm. think it's, if anything, it's detrimental to the process of whatever this larger personal evolution conversation we're having is, I think. Absolutely. Let's see. Okay. Um, according to Jung, the man and personality represents an archetypal phase of the individuation process of remarkable mm -hmm. interest in psychological her. Hermeneutic, hermeneutics, know, yeah, hermeneutic and theoretical terms. The figures characterized by a high initiatic potential, initiatic. So, like an initiate initiation, yeah, yeah, initiatic potential that fosters the approximation of the consciousness of the self. Mm. So that's kind of over my head. Are, a are they bit. writing self with a capital S there? Yes, yes, yeah, they are. yeah, yeah. So, 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 read that one more time. So the mana, okay, I clicked into another one. Um, but okay, back. So according to Jung, the mana personality represents an archetypal phase of the individuation process mm -hmm. of remarkable interest in psychological herman hermeneutics and theoretical terms. The figure is characterized by a high initiatic potential that fosters the approximation of the consciousness of the capital S self. Yeah. So what he's saying is, uh, so on the in the process of individuation, which is Jung's process of the individual kind of going through what we're talking about. And, and incidentally, this is a great that you bring this up because I think the individuate, like Jung's individuation process is probably the best loose map for personal development that there is because it's more recent and it's very psychological mm -hmm. and it's a lifelong process. And it's not just, so something, the hero's journey is something that spins off of this process. Like Campbell was very um, influenced by Jung. He has taught, he has a lot of talks where he alludes to Jung and he even mm -hmm. shows the sort of general map of the person of the, uh, per the not persona, the psyche, and maps that over mythological structures and stuff like that. Right. So what he's saying is that there's this part of the individuation journey where you come into contact with an archetype that's sort of like the representative of capital S self, okay. the, the transcendent consciousness. Right. And that thing can come to you sort of like I was talking about before. It can come to you like a god. It can come to you like, oh, I am talking to Krishna right now. 
right. and Krishna is telling me, like, I am this, I am that. Yeah. So this is what he means by initiatic, right? He like this this high initiatic potential is like it is in a way actually initiating you mm-hmm. into your place in the capital S self, and that in an as above, so below kind of way, you contain this godly self within you. But then the shadow potential of that initiation is that you now think you're special or more special than right. than other people. So um, so that that's what they're sort of getting at with that passage, I think. Right. Yep, yep. I clicked into it and it says here, it entails a risk of psychic inflation or exactly. similarity to God. Exactly, exactly. Um, let's see. Also, it says... The relations between the ego and the unconscious successful successively I take into consideration some further issues related to young oh. So anyway, it's a similarity to God. So let's just call it Yeah, you delusions can of a, a grandeur. God complex. Yeah. 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 God complex, delusions of grandeur, messiah complex, these types of things. Um it's yeah, the it's an interesting thing and and I I wonder where where is that in relation to like actual enlightenment? So is that is that is that a false enlightenment? Potentially, I think so. You yeah, know, I it's, think it's potentially like you it is. feel like you know you have all the answers, but you're just kind of delusional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think to some people too. I mean, if you're hyper empirical hyper, you know, what what we would call hyper-rational, although I think empirical and rational just get flipped around. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, um, this whole conversation to people like that is ridiculous. Like, they would think young is ridiculous. They would think the idea that psyche, quote-unquote, exists they, is ridiculous. You know, they would be like, there's no evidence for this. There's no hard mm-hmm. scientific data you can show me that says any of this exists. But I find that extraordinarily unsatisfying and uh, I would say borderlining on sophistry because it's just telling us that our own personal experience doesn't matter. Like your own personal experience can't be weighed or measured, therefore it doesn't matter. But I think all of us would say what matters most, I think people who are honest and are open-minded would say, well, what matters most to me is my personal experience, is my consciousness, because without that, I literally have nothing. So I'm going to start from the standpoint of that being consequential, you know, like not just a random roll of the dice that I happen to be conscious, that I happen to be having an experience. So once you open up that can of worms, you open up the possibility for so much difficult material to deal with. And and that's what I think Jung is talking about here is that Mm -hmm. eventually you're going to get to this place of having this realization that if consciousness matters and consciousness doesn't end with you the individual you're gonna start dealing with some very deep very difficult material to reconcile that can throw you into these delusions of grandeur as you called it right um yeah and there's just something about i feel like when there's a well-attuned um you know, person to be able to sense energies that actually really turns people off. Mm, like if yeah. like mm-hmm. say you meet someone who's fully 
immersed in this delusion of grandeur and this man of personality. Like for people that are, you know, you know, well attuned to reading energies and, and feeling where they're coming from, it's it's not an immediate reaction like that they're wanting or or trying to get from you, which is like, oh, you're the new god. Like, let me praise you. Like, it's like, yeah, bro, I don't think you're all right. <laughs> yeah, well, especially if it's someone who doesn't. And this is where it gets hard, though, because if it's someone who has a lot of social status and a lot of wealth doing that. That's then right. it really does attract people. That's and interesting. It, e- even if it, you know, even if like, let's say it's very divided, it's a figure that a lot of people are drawn to and a lot of people don't like, mm-hmm. like that's still a lot of people that are drawn to that person. Even if it's, you know, let's say you have a million followers yeah. online and 5% of them are completely drinking the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. That's still a lot of people, you know, totally. that's, that's still thousands and thousands of people that are on board with that. And that's, that's fairly scary, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, man, is like the more you, and the more you amass someone, and and I I was going to use Sadhguru as an example, but I'm, I'm ambivalent on him. I don't have like, Mm -hmm. I don't think he's a charlatan. I don't, I, I also don't think he's like necessarily, uh, an arc and, uh, that's what I'm looking for. Um, an enlightened a, a, being. A, avatar. Avatar is what avatar. I'm looking for. Like avatar. an avatar of some deity or... I don't know. I don't know what he is. Like, I think, right. he, I think he has some great things to say. I think he has... Like like you pointed out before, you know, talking about social media numbers and stuff like that is a little <laughs> bit like, uh, okay. Um, that was him justifying why his message is working. Right, right. But yeah. which is Which is a problematic way to think because it's like, well... You're here's the thing, Sadhguru. You're very popular, but there's someone out there who's ten times more popular than you. Does that mean they're ten times more spiritual? Does that mean they're mm-hmm. ten times more successful in making something that is uh, healing the planet? Definitely not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like wet ass pussy has <laughs> hundreds of millions of streams. I'll bet. Right. And I'm not knocking it. Like, I don't care if you fucking jam out to that song, but I don't think anybody <laughs> is going to be like, yeah, dude, she's obviously enlightened. You know, she's mm-hmm. obviously uh, a reincarnate of of uh, Vishnu right here, right now. You know, like, right. Let's not, let's not use metrics as a representative of truth, though they're not mutually exclusive either. I mean, definitely something can break through because it's so profound. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we you know just like everything, it's a it's a it's a topic that's a very very uh, there's a lot of ambivalence and gray area there. But yeah, I don't even remember what I was saying now. Yeah, before before I, before what ass what ass pussy just hijacks your mind <laughs> in more ways than one. That's funny. Yeah, well, this is interesting. You know, like enlightenment in the modern age, is it the same thing it used to be? Is it different? Should you put your message out there if you have this wisdom to share? Um, I feel like there is definitely a level of output that is healthy um, to be able to channel these creative energies inside uh, into something productive, into something that can help others. Um, I mean, every work that we have been calling to, even like Young, for example. Um, 
was channeled and put into a body of work. Um, Buddhist teachings, you know, um, the Tao Te Ching, it was all channeled into a book. It was all channeled into writing. Um, it is important, I think, to to do that. And and while that enlightenment is found in the silence, as we're discussing, um, yeah, like to be able to actually leave a mark and 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 hopefully help the human race is to actually be productive and to share this with other people. But if you are, you know, finding yourself in this state of grandeur, also grounding that, because I, I do think that spirituality and psychedelic experiences, you are dabbling with madness, more or less. Yeah. You're, you're, mm-hmm. And they say that, you know, like the shaman uh swims in the same water as the madman he just mm-hmm. he just comes back to shore after yeah, yeah. more or less and and it's very true um because so many people can can be chasing this dragon of this enlightenment experience and not doing anything productive in life um they're just like i want more of that i want more 5meo dmt i yeah, want yeah. more whatever it is and um really it can uh be a catalyst for mental illness in, in many forms. Um, if you're not able to integrate these things wisely and just kind of use common sense, you know what I mean? I feel like if you have a big experience, don't dive right back into another one. Like actually take time to ground what you've just learned. And, and for me, it always takes weeks. It, it maybe even takes months. And sometimes years to really fully unpack uh, the messages that can be found in these experiences, whether psychedelically induced or not. I mean, probably a Vipassana retreat where you just Mm -hmm. don't speak for a week straight can can lead to some really crazy life-changing epiphanies that um, you're not going to be able to to ground and and use immediately. Like, it's going to take some time coming back and learning what to do with. Um, and that does lead me to, I think, a, you know, a more practical point, which is like actually bringing all this knowledge and experience into play by being productive. Yeah. And I wanted to get your take on it because I've noticed that you've become extremely productive recently. <laughs> um, I don't know if I agree, but thank you. Well, it <laughs> seems like it. I mean, um, because, for example... I almost feel, you know, because we've been friends for many years now, that there was almost like this, um, there's this dance that, that, we, that we share and, and we've almost switched because mm. for a number of months, um, I noticed you wouldn't release very much content other than your podcast. Like your podcast was coming out and out and out. But as far as like your social media, like it was, you know, here and there. Like yeah. now you've definitely turned the gear up um and you're and you're rocketing out these like works of art and and uh these these uh i guess memes and these uh quotes and videos and and these types of things where uh i do feel like it's you know very inspiring very creative um it probably helps a bunch of people each day and i have this one pulled up that i had meant to to get into that i thought was particularly impactful, which was um, 
uh, a quote you had put out. I guess you, you came up with this quote that says that feeling when you realize that too much ex- existential reflection is actually detrimental to your mental health. And that what you really need is to put your psychic demons to work on something constructive. Yeah. So I wanted to know, like, what shifted in you to be able to begin being so much more productive um, in the sense of releasing the, you know, this isn't just hitting posts. You know, you have to create these things. Right. You have to mentally mm-hmm. bring them out, you know, and even if it's just quoting someone else, I've been a part of the social media um, content publishing world as well for many years. And I don't just find a quote, like I actually no, yeah, has to resonate and yeah, mean for something sure. deep. So, mm-hmm. so tell me yeah, well, what's changed and, and how have you begun putting all of this to work? I'm like, I'm one of those people, man, who I can't fully explain why I decide to do something or like what makes me consistent at things. But I have a habit of either being a terrible procrastinator and somebody who pushes things off to the last minute or just deciding like, I'm going to put out a podcast every Wednesday, no matter what. And now I've done it like whatever, 300 Mm -hmm. times in a row or something. It's like five years straight. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to, Mm -hmm. to think about it that way. And then I just decided too, that it's like, and and by the way, I'm not holding this up as an example of me even doing anything constructive. I mean, I just decided like, all right, I'm looking at Instagram and I'm and to be totally transparent about the mixture of psychological forces, it's like I'm seeing friends, I'm seeing other people doing well, and there's some part of me that's like, well, why can't I do that well? Mm -hmm. And when you take a hard look at it, it's like, what are you doing? Are you doing enough? Are you, what's your output like? You just have to, I mean, it's like you have to decide like, okay, well, if this is something I want to take part in, then I need to dedicate mental energy to it. I need to dedicate Mm -hmm. creative repetitions to it. And then you just like have to stick with that and just fucking keep going and keep going and keep going. Even if you think something's hacky, Sometimes, you know, you keep going. Even if you think something did shitty, you keep going. Mm-hmm. And it's just, that's that's what it turns, you know, that's the the game you play. And right. I, I was talking to Corey about this, our, you know, our mutual friend, Corey mm-hmm. Allen. And he's done well, you know, in, in various aspects of his creative output. Right. And I think, I think we were talking on his show about it, if I remember correctly, the most recent time I was on his show. Yeah, it was a great and, episode. Thanks. And um, it was like I I, I was being I was trying to be transparent and say, I think that there is something fundamentally detrimental about doing it, about even being on social media and about even like building a social media persona and dedicating time to it. However, I kind of think that that's true of anything that we do. Mm. So it's sort of like choose your flawed yet (laughs) necessary output you Mm -hmm. know it's like you can like sit back as a as a person who who comments on the sidelines and talk about all of like the you know the toxic like because because i personally as someone who tries to be a nuanced thinker i don't like posting small little bits of text because it just feels like there's so much unsaid and it's so difficult Mm -hmm. to capture anything valuable 
in like a few words or a tweet or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that if you continually have that output, it becomes a dialogue. It becomes an evolving, ongoing message where I hope people take it as nothing that I'm saying is final. Nothing that I'm, my most recent post is not like a final statement. It's like, it just like anything, just like, um, you know, there's a Greek, the Greek idea where the word dialogue comes from the dialogos. Mm-hmm. It's related to the concept of logos, like this, this transcendent logic or m- maybe mind is too strong of a word that's at work, but sort of this like transcendent, I'll just go back to the word logic because it's hard to talk about, like mm-hmm. working through people. And it's kind of like, you know, when something has logos, like you sort of intuitively tell because it's beautiful or it feels right or there's some kind of mm-hmm. um unsaid quality to the thing that you're like aha yes that like this feels like something is working its way through it and i'm always trying like hoping hoping that i can bring a little glimmer of that through anything like through the podcast through whatever because when when people like young talk about like we're on the edge we're doing it like what we do matters we're we're sort of in our greatest moments at least we are God godding. I think mm-hmm. that's what he means. I think it it means that like there is this something that can work through you, and you see it in great art all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not an artist in that sense, um, at least not currently. But I do this. I I make posts, whatever, mm-hmm. and hopefully in a like the greatest moment when when my ideas are bouncing off someone else's ideas. I hope like they collide to make this like third thing that you're yeah. like, Ooh, you know? Right. And, and just that moment of, Ooh, like that, that can be for me, what is like the difference between a great day and a mm-hmm. day where I'm like, today just felt like a waste. Sure. You know, nothing happened today. Nothing right. interesting. I never I didn't come in, into contact with any interesting ideas today. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I put it out there because it's like, like you said, it could be, the thing, maybe you didn't say this, or maybe I thought it, but <laughs> it could be the thing that sparks something, you know, and gets right. someone else to, to read something or do something. And 100%. I, I just want to contribute to that, to that kind of flow. Like I want to, yeah. I want people to like come out of their mundane posture of obligations and things they have to do and just yeah. like turn toward wonder for like a second, like yeah. remind them to turn toward wonder for one second of their day. Mm-hmm. And if I can do that for anybody, I'm pretty stoked. Well, you're doing it. And I commend the effort. I know you said you don't really feel productive as as much as I'm thinking you are and and that it's not a work of art, but really it is. I read that quote and then for like two days, which is, you know, 48 hours, which is a lot of time, I was impacted by that quote. I'm not saying that I'm going to stop at this point, stop being impacted by it, but I'm going to like when it's like when I'm thinking about you know, for to, to reencapsulate the quote, you're saying like all this like thinking about stuff is detrimental to your mental health. Actually, do something constructive. Like that keeps ringing back to me as a positive step to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's definitely, I think, a hard. I saw this on uh, the words. Uh, words are vibrations. He uh, he had put um, hard to swallow truths. And then he said, the meme is the most effective art of our time. And that is a hard to swallow truth for me because I've 
you know, kind of said how memes are kind of a cheap way to get likes or a cheap way to get follows or um, something that's, you know, kind of like less than like a beautiful work of art in the sense of a painting or a depiction or a video or something. Like I have this hard to swallow truth. It is a hard to swallow truth for me. It really is that the meme is a more effective work of art than some of these other things because again they they they're they're quick to make but they're they're not easy to make no, or else not. everyone no. would be making them you know like you yeah, really anybody, have to think about it yeah it, it's just like anything you know like there's there's a fast food way like if you just decided all right i'm going to make a meme about whatever is going through the mainstream media cycle every single day and i'm just going to like play to people's emotions and whatever, like maybe that's a low hanging fruit act. It, it, and by the way, it doesn't, it still doesn't mean it's going to be that easy. Like, I think that's easier than trying to like conjure up something creative or mm-hmm. really having like an angle. But yeah, James is a great example of that. Words or yeah. vibrations is a great example of that. Because if you think, if you go to his page, he's, you'll see, he's, if you don't already follow him, he's very successful at what he does. But yeah. if you think it's easy, Try consistently coming up with a single idea. And most days he's doing like multiple. Yeah. I'm, I'm in awe of his output and how clever mm-hmm. he, he can usually be. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it, to me, it's not the medium is not the thing to, to look at and spend too much time thinking about. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that it's a meme is like, not important you know it's it's right the way that it's it's what is contained within within the medium itself right and i think i guess i was just like conditioned to believe that memes were stupid with like pepe the frog right right it's like that's stupid like the wolf that wolf head guy you know there's a wolf and then there's (laughs) like geometry around him and he's like yelling at you like every meme at the beginning of memes because memes weren't a thing for a long time and then 4chan came along and memes came along and it became this big funny joke and people sending them to me and then they start making the the emoji keyboards on the phones and people can send memes and in my mind all this while for years i was like memes are stupid period and then as i start to see conscious memes or actually memes that have a deep message embedded in them rather than this like cheap you know funny laugh for half a second i was like it was a hard to swallow truth which is why i think that james guy got it right when he put that memes are one of the most effective pieces of our of our time um i was like huh what is this feeling i'm having because like i still yeah. think memes are stupid but the message i'm getting from this is actually helpful so mm-hmm. And I'm well, yeah, still I'm, learning to swallow that truth, but I think you found a really nice synergy with bringing the memes in, but bringing actual thoughtful messaging into it. Yeah, and I don't even know if they're like sometimes they're act, they're like straight up memes, but usually it's like you know snippets of text or ideas or quotes or mm-hmm. or whatever. But yeah, man, I, I feel like it feels like it feels to me like a necessary evil. Like it's not mm-hmm. something that I I'm like holding up as my greatest work or something that I'm super proud of, but it, it's kind of like, well, do, do you want to increase your ability to reach people on this thing or not? 
And if right. the answer is yes, you have to do something. Right. So it sort of just feels like a means to an end in that way. Right. But in in the most charitable of all possible readings of it, or of memes in general, I, I do think that there is a toxic element of it in that it lends itself to being extremely shallow with ideas. It lends itself to just like consuming, throwing away, like mm -hmm. very quick, haha, throw it away, move on. Right. And if that's all it is, then all right, you, you gave somebody a haha. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not like you're out there, you know. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say something extremely, I'm not going to say that, <laughs> but um, uh, it's not like you're out there doing like straight up evil into the world, but you're just sort of like polluting the collective psyche with more images, right? Mm -hmm. But in the most charitable of all possible, readings if there's a deeper snippet in there there's like an invitation to dive deeper you know it's like oh like i posted a voltaire quote the other day you could go read a bunch more of his quotes you could yeah. pick up a book you could you know chew on that idea and sort of make it your own i think that's one of the things that memes actually do really well is that they you know, and, and I guess genetically speaking, this was the original idea of a meme. It was like the smallest unit of genealogical information or something. And then that would like, that would spread, you know? Right. And that's kind of what they're doing psychically is like, if you take up uh, a mental meme, a digital meme and make it mental, it, it's sort of like now a pixel in your brain and you can choose to expand on that pixel and see what it brings up for you. So in that way, it can be kind of a creative spark too, mm -hmm. um, if you want it to be. Yeah. When so they're yeah, tasteful, when they're tasteful, mm -hmm, you know? And mm -hmm. I think it takes a particularly uh, well-attuned person to take this art form and make it tasteful as well, which I think James has done um, and you are doing as well. Corey is doing, and it's not just like, Corey's not putting out there cartoon pictures with with funny words by them and they're, they're yeah, just, he needs to do a, more of that <laughs> <laughs> it's a quote card you know it's here's some thoughtful idea to help you through your day and i do find um Corey's extremely helpful his his instagram page um and you know it's it's been interesting too because i've been going back and forth between how i feel about instagram um, I did a podcast not long ago with Mike Brancatelli, another one of our mutual friends, where we were talking about like this disenchantment with it. And then I spent several weeks, you know, only hopping on for five or 10 minutes a day instead of being on there actually like, quote unquote, working as in building the profile or sharing the stuff and, and stuff. And um, there is this interesting thing that, that happens after so long of being off of it that you just feel like, am I just being an old an old person that's grumpy with the way that things have, have shifted, you know, like the way we think of our grandparents and they don't want to get on the phone because they didn't grow up with the phone. And it's like, come on, get with the times. Like the phone's the new thing. It's like, am I just being grumpy now? Maybe th that, you know, like that I'm not doing what feels like progressing on these social platforms the way I, I had in the past and so now I'm just like, get it away from me, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. 
it's interesting. There's definitely like an internal battle going on with me about whether or not to use this or how to use it. But I will just say, I think you've found a, a good rhythm with it that is respectable and it, and it doesn't feel cheap and it doesn't feel empty and, and hollow. It feels like actual real thoughtful content that has a message ingrained in it. So thanks man. And, and yeah. another element of it that, that just, occurred to me. And first I'll say, I think you're totally within your rights to be a grumpy old man about it because (laughs) there are so many problems with it. There are Mm -hmm. so many shallow, shitty, detrimental elements to it that I would never sit here and try to like defend it collectively. Mm -hmm. But I also think as you're pointing out there, there can be fun elements. There can be creative elements. There can be inspirational elements and you have the ability to curate that to an extent. And you know, only follow uh, more so on Instagram than a lot of other um, mm-hmm. platforms. You have the ability to kind of be like, I'm not following this person. I don't want to see right. their shit. Like, right. Um, but uh, one thing that I, that I hope, or w- what I was going to say is that one thing that you also start to realize if you, if you force yourself into a position where you just say, all right, I'm going to post something every day, mm-hmm. you kind of find out stuff about yourself. Because you, you just in the same way with podcasting is like, why do I continuously find myself talking about this Mm -hmm. topic, whatever it is? Why do I continuously find these types of things resonating with me that I'm posting? And then you look back over a year and you're like, whoa, all right, I guess this is my, this is kind of my philosophy. Like, Mm -hmm. this is what I've chosen or whatever. This is like what I'm drawn to. So in some ways it can help you clarify your own, in the same way that writing does really. Because if you sit down and you try to write, Mm-hmm. it's such a hard process and you end up learning a lot about yourself in that process and learning a lot about what you really know and what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that all of these methods of, of, of output, whether it's writing, making memes, making podcasts, it is a, it sounds so cliche, but it is part of self-discovery. Like it is part of defogging how you think, what you think about, who who you are on the inside that we're so, we're like roiling and, you know, just mm-hmm. rolling around inside of our own minds trying to figure out who we are, what we think. And this kind of gets back to that post about like, when you realize that too much existential reflection is actually detrimental to your mental health or whatever I said, yep. is because like that stuff what needs to come out. Like the, the, yeah. putting things out into the world doing works is a cathartic act. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a cliche for a reason, you know, uh, idle hands are the devil's plaything or something like that. It's, it's, right. cli- it's a cliche saying that everyone knows for a reason because it's fucking true. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't do anything, if you're just sitting around like moldering in your own mental miasma, it's, it's like, it's like standing water, you know, it just starts to get cloudy and dirty and like, it's just the nasty puddle. It needs to right. flow. It needs to move. It needs to interact. It needs to make shit. Right. So. Yep. Cool. Well, I did just want to ask, you know, as, as a couple of final thoughts as to how you found your creative flow. Um, how would you recommend others that maybe are feeling kind of a, a writer's block or an artistic block, you know, begin to, to, find a flow and feel confident with putting their work out. Um, 
and and you know like maybe even how to rationalize how things are received mm-hmm. whether it's well or not well or maybe they don't get the amount of likes that they want to get or these types of things like how would you recommend people start stepping into you know their creative flow and and pushing their message out into the world their art out into yeah. the world well there there's like three things that immediately came up one is try things on don't take them too seriously and make sure you enjoy whatever the thing is. Like the, those are three things that immediately popped into my head. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by try things on is don't be afraid to like play around in a bunch of different mediums. Like if y- you might, because the thing is, is we romanticize the idea of doing something mm-hmm. until, and we don't really get what it is until we really do it. So you might think person out there like, oh, I'm, I got to do a podcast. And then you might not like it or people might not like it or whatever, you know, it might just not feel like it's connecting and then just try. So what? Just try something else on and you'll find something else that does or is or does fulfill those things for you. And really, I think that third thing of enjoying the thing and just doing it is the most important one, because then you have this what you know psycho like in psychology speak you have this intrinsic motivator that will always be there like the the good feelings you get from doing it the cathartic feelings you get from doing it that will just make you want to keep going regardless of how it's received but then i think usually what happens is if you enjoy it and you get good at it then people will notice it and it will lend itself to outcomes that you will be happier with mm-hmm. so I think if you go by those three things, and especially I didn't like talk more about the don't take yourself too seriously part of it, but yeah, man, if you're sitting there like, and, and I'm guilty of this too, like I worry about how people are going to receive things or how well things are going to do, or, mm-hmm. you know, I spend time thinking about stupid negative comments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But as little as possible, try like at least step back and remind yourself about my little fucking post, my little, whatever, my podcast, what doesn't really fucking matter. And mm-hmm. if people didn't really like this one, who cares? It's one pixel in the entire body of work of things I'll do in my entire life. And they're only one pixel of that thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that habit of trying to step away and, and not take things too seriously, I think is super, super important too for for my own my own mental health absolutely right (laughs) like there's a time to care for sure there's a time like put your notes down make something good be lost in the process of like now this is better here that's better there i like this i don't like that and then there's a time to just like let it go Mm -hmm. let it out it's out there and just walk away one thousand percent thank you so much for being here today michael you got it man it's always fun yeah uh, tell the listeners where they can find you, uh, listen to your podcast and, and your links and whatnot. Presently, uh, the main creative, I guess you could call it, thing that I do is the Third Eye Drops podcast. It is on all podcast platforms. Um, and I do have an Instagram that I'm fairly regular on. Third underscore I underscore drops. Love it. All right. Thanks once again for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.